millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Back to Rule the Rouge podcast. I'm your host, to Trunk Jack. Uh, I'm joined only this week by Mr. Raj Baines. It's an old school show. How you doing, Raj? I'm happy. I'm quite happy. I'm content. Um, hey. It's nice to be doing it just us two, as much as we love so Seb. I was about to call him Sub. <laughs> yeah, and no, as much it's as we, we love there, Seb. Mate. Yeah, he's so <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's it, like I said to you before we started recording it. It's uh, it's oddly sort of warming doing it the old school way, isn't it? People, yeah, it is. I was just sort of worried then that people are going to think that Seb's Seb's fled because uh, you know because he bullied him so much on the last. Part. Yeah, because uh, mercilessly bullied him. Yeah, mm. and I think uh, Seb is a big boy. He'll get over it. I think he'll be more concerned over the fact that he lost ninety two nil to me. <laughs> On rugby league line, you've been waiting to bring that up, haven't you? Like the eagerly. end of the game, That's where it was sort of a moral it. victory for him that he kept it under a hundred, um, which is sort of it, it amused me greatly. He was uh, he wasn't too happy with himself after that. He was he was sort of sort of you know we'll we'll have another one straight away, and it's like it's all right, mate. I think you you best go off and watch match of the day and think about what you've just done and. Uh, We'll come back another time and revisit this. Careful you don't anger the beast, though, mate. Like, he's, you know, he's like on fucking FIFA, so he's, you know... Yeah, that's it now. He's not um, he's not unavailable for the podcast. He's just... He hasn't moved from his sitting room since uh, that loss, and he's just been hammering the game. He'll come back a virtuoso of Rugby League Live, and it'll be me losing in the 90s next time. Um, it... it it does just throw me that that he's so good, that he is so good at FIFA. It's totally out of character. I beat him. Uh, I beat him with a <laughs> a goal by James Vaughan from halfway the other night. So I may be slowly starting to get over my mental block against him because he always says to me he he's always adamant that you cause him a lot of trouble on FIFA and that you're sort. I of... do, but he usually wins, which is annoying. yeah. But the the thing is, with me and him, it's never a close game. It's usually a smashing, so it's like a, it's like five two or something like that regularly, um, or even like I could have a two goal lead with sort of seventy minutes on the thing, and he'll smash in four right at the end just because he sort of can. And he's always had that mental edge over me since we first started playing. Because I think I I made the mistake of sort of knowing how he was with technology beforehand and assuming that would translate to his 
sort of computer game playing ability and uh, was was completely hustled by him because he, he gave it the old I've, I've not played this much I've only just got it sort of thing and you know it was like playing one of those 14 year old kids on online where you can't get the ball off him and ever since then I've not been able to shake it but slowly getting a, a grasp back slowly starting to sort of uh, make inroads into his dominance when, when we first met Seb uh, he told us that he didn't trust electricity and that his his whole house was coal powered and he still lights candles and stuff. Um, so this gives you some idea of. Well, we know he, he carries a, a saucer with a candle on to bed with his striped pajamas on <laughs> on a nightly basis. So um, that's He's four that's post sort of a bed the... at that. <laughs> yeah, well, before somebody tucks him in and settles his bedpan. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, this is actually bullying now because he's not here to defend I know, himself. It's, it's more fun. It feels like it's, it's bitch. He's probably not going to listen. Yeah, he will listen, actually. Won't no, he? he definitely does listen. Shit. Um, I was just going to say about four poster beds. You know, those old kind of Victorian style four poster beds that have got like curtains around them? Hogwarts style. I just, that would be terrifying, mate. I'd hate to, I'd hate to sleep like that, like not being able to see around me. Like if do you I, keep if, like a light on or something? Sorry? Do you keep a light on? No, no, nothing like that. But I mean, just like, because you can still make out shapes and stuff in the dark. And if you wake up, you hear a noise, you know, you can look out. But having those curtains around your bed, like, I wouldn't like that. I don't know. I, I'm I I'm one of those people who love it pitch black. So sort of, I've got like um, my curtains that I've got in my bedroom are specifically blackout ones, so that like no light whatsoever can creep through. Because like I'm I'm quite a bad I'm quite bad for getting to sleep. Like I'm a heavy sleeper once I get to sleep, but the actual act of falling asleep isn't doesn't come easily to me. Um, so like I need sort of pitch black surroundings and I usually have sort of a a podcast or sort of shipping forecast on in the background so that there's some sort of like ambient noise in the background for me to sort of concentrate on and drift off otherwise your mind just keeps you awake and it's you you know before long it's four in morning and you've not done anything but sort of have this existential existential crisis where you just sort of laid in bed. I wouldn't know anything about existential crisis, mate. I'm well, you don't have them while you're laid in bed. You have them on here on a weekly basis. <laughs> yeah. you, wear, you, you wear yours for all to know. It's my actual therapy, this. Yeah. Genu- well, genuinely I- is. You know, uh, after I didn't after I didn't host the other week and I couldn't have my, like, textbook kind of meltdown, I just found myself, like, really aggy. And I'd be it was your like, idea not to host. Huh? Said it was your idea not to host. I know. Why made you not do it? I know. I quite enjoyed it though. It was. It was. It was decent. I feel like I, I got to show a different side to my personality. Maybe you know, sh- show the listeners that there's there's more to this complex character than meets the ear. I guess in this instance, but you know, I guess we'll we'll see how it unfolds over the over the coming months. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see. Well, I mean, you know. Uh, Whenever you're in the gym or whatever, I'm happy to take over. Seb was very uncomfortable with his first foray into the world of hosting. Um, I'm sure he'll get used to it, though. It's just one of those things you get better at the more and more you're doing it. Mm. So it's not as if he was he was terrible or anything. It's it's not the the worst podcast host you've ever heard in your life. What was it he said to us after? He said uh, he's never doing it again, but I, I, I don't think we're going to take that as a... As an answer. No, we'll we'll make him do it periodically just to sort of 
keep them in shape, keep them on this toes. Keep the tugboat from the door. Yeah. We usually used to leave all this sort of uh, self-referential, sort of egotistical the, thing towards the, the end of the stuff. podcast. If we actually do, because I think we're slowly creeping towards 10 minutes now without either actually having mentioned Tottenham or you know the club, a player or a match yet, which is quite impressive given we've played a couple since the last show. So if we do that and then towards the end, because it is just us two, we can have a bit of a TV and a film chat and all yeah. that mm-hmm. sort of jazz, you know. Take take advantage of it just being us, Jack. But you know, I tell you, what, let's just chuck in first of all because I, I I really don't want to spend too much time on this um, transfer window. Didn't bring anyone yeah. in. I think my favourite part of the transfer window was in the face of everyone screaming and like caterwauling for new signings. We just announced the uh, the contract extension of Grant Ward, which. I, I don't know, there was, there was something pretty poetic to that, I felt. And Moussa, Moussa Dembele extended yeah, his contract yeah, true, as well, true. instead of the other Moussa Dembele coming. And then, did, um, you, did you see the tweet there the Spurs social media manager put out on uh, match day yesterday? No. He, he, yeah, I, th- he, I can't remember, he said something like, and here's two Moussa Dembele's, and it was just two pictures of Moussa Dembele getting, getting warmed up. So now they usually put out all those pre-match warm-up photos yeah. and stuff. Now he knew what he was doing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's brilliant. Like it's just so so ballsy. Yeah. Well, have you seen um, have you seen Southampton recently? Have been getting into the gift game. Yeah, some have a little pop at Portsmouth earlier. Yeah. Well, the, the, a few clubs are doing it more and more because this is sort of the American American Twitter accounts tend to do this more because the. The football ones, they tend to be a bit stuffier, um, especially with, you know, I, I did that piece for Vice with sort of Roberto and Tim who used to run the, the social and the video for Spurs and sort of listening to them and hearing sort of the tales of what you'd be getting from fans as sort of your abuse um, was enough to make you realise essentially why they were closed off PR circuits for the most part, mm. but in America, sort of, the, the example that people always tend to give is the LA, LA Kings, the uh, hockey team. And, you know, I wouldn't know the first thing about ice hockey and um, or, or anything like that, but they're one of those clubs that seem to do social media so well because they are just completely partisan. They tweet as if they're a fan um, and they do everything like that. And they're sort of, there's a lot more scope for that, I think, perhaps, um over there, because especially with you know all the all the things that the NBA tend to retweet from the clubs is is lots of you know memes and uh, and gifts of their players and they t- they're a lot easier and freer with their image rights as well because they'll they'll vine out you know as soon as something happens they'll vine what's just happened themselves and sort of take ownership of the fact that footage is being shared rather than sort of rushing to take it down from the internet yeah, it's just been a bit the Premier League tends to. Just a bit more grown up about the whole thing, isn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? Uh, it won't be too long, I don't imagine, before the Premier League sort of catches up with its thinking. It's just been typically English and a little bit stuck up and behind with this sort of thing. But um, can you imagine the day when sort of Spurs are away like they were against Norwich and we'll come on to it properly, I'm sure, in a bit. But one of those non-televised games where it literally... 90% of people who are following it online have got some form of stream open at the same time. Mm-hmm. They've got some sort of live, well, sort of three-minute delayed, but as live as possible, a feed of the game going on. Could you imagine if Spurs were just 
happy enough to tweet out the goals as they happen, like of a six second vine of Kane scoring and and Deli Ali tapping in. It it'd be so much easier and healthier than sort of the you know, the weird descriptions they try and give at the minute where you sort of in your mind's eye you can't picture what's happened. Yeah, I mean it rests with the Premier League that, doesn't it? It rests with the Premier League and the broadcasters that they sell the rights to and they just they need to they need to box more clever you know they need to realize yeah. that they're not gonna they're not gonna lose money they're not gonna people aren't going to stop subscribing to their services because they can look at a goal on twitter like it's just it's that's more people will happen. subscribe it if they if they were to launch their own i've written about this in in detail in the past but if they were to launch their own licensed streaming service where sort of each and every game was available online on your ipad on your phone you paid sort of a, a flat fee say 200 quid a season for every single premier league game or if you wanted to do one team 100 quid or something like that every single fan would do it because although there are illegal streams available the ease of access that that would give them would be so far and above you know what's there for them at the moment it would be the same wouldn't it and it's not like the infrastructure needs to be changed because there's cameras there for each and every game for the statistics companies that are covering it for match of the day and for all the highlights packages that are going out. So it's not as if they need to do anything. It'll just be a case of building an app, making a payment platform and getting the uh, getting the broadcast deals involved. Because if you think about the worldwide audience of the Premier League, they will probably, if not make more money, they will at least level out on if you know Sky and BT want to pay them a little less for their slightly less exclusive content for their games because there'll be so many more people that will be made available to. I mean, everybody that follows a team at least would pay for the streams of every single one of their games. And I can't see you know, the argument that's always made, especially with sort of like three o'clock games and that and and with lower league teams as well, is that they will lose attendances and Watching a match on your iPad is in no way comparable to being in the ground, and nobody would ever think to sort of replace one one sort of way of consuming the sport with another, I don't think. I mean, the lower league one's perhaps more of a concern, but having been to Huddersfield Town and, and sort of had the, the season ticket there for, for probably half the season, if not longer now, the the people that are there don't really care about anybody else but their team and the, you're not deterring anybody else from going there. People will always go to their local club if their local club is who they support. So I think the Premier League are just slightly archaic with the way in which they're handling that and you know the fact that they're probably getting more money than anybody else on the face of the planet for all those broadcasting rights then they're probably onto something but the the leagues in America, the NBA and the NFL that both do it, they're they're not struggling for coin. So I don't understand why the Premier League wouldn't try and follow suit. They're already doing it slightly, aren't they, next season by getting rid of the sponsorship in the title. So it'll just be the Premier League rather than the Barclays Premier League or Carlsberg or whatever it was before. Should we pitch this? I don't, I don't think it needs pitching. I imagine there's been meetings about this. It's just sort of... They just need to get around to implementing it because the sooner they do, the the healthier the sport will be. Because can you for every single person that illegally streams a, a game, they would happily 
sort of pay that money up front once a season to sort of just wipe out that cost. They'd probably still keep their Sky and BT packages for the Champions League and for, you know, other sports. I mean, I'd, I'd keep Sky Sports so that I could watch Super League. I'd um, BT, I'd, I'd keep for the European football and stuff like that. And I'd keep all of that. But sort of, I think sports and individual leagues, the more they take ownership of their own broadcasting rights and the more they sort of sell them directly to themselves and cut out the middleman. The only person that that loses are the broadcasters. And if at the end of the day the sport's winning and the fans are winning, then it's it's probably a healthier business proposition than anything else. So if that's the way they can get around it, um I think that that that'll probably happen in the near future. I mean they keep signing these contracts extensions, don't they, for various billions. So it doesn't appear to be creeping around the corner in the next season or two, but but hopefully in the next five to ten years at the most, you would hope that there was some sort of platform like that available. It would be somewhat ridiculous given the speed of internet and the fact that we've all got computers in our pockets these days that it, it wouldn't be there. It's, it's the, there'll be some something of a loophole, or not a loophole, but a, a, an issue that will be stopping them from doing it, though, I reckon. I'm just trying to think of what it could be. It'll be, it'll be as part of their contract for the for the broadcast at the moment, won't they? Because there's obviously the, the legal aspect of um, the three o'clock games is just a, a blanket coverage ban. No football game yeah. is, allowed to be, is allowed to be broadcast. Between, I think it's between three o'clock and half past five. Um, because that's that's traditionally the the football kickoff times. I just think that's such a it's just such a, a, a stone age mentality though. Like it's it's total bollocks. People aren't going to stop going to games because they can watch it at home. You know, it's a completely different environment. Well, especially with the fact that there'll be such a disparity in cost as well, because you will essentially be opening up the game via this theoretical platform that we've just invented to people who find it difficult to afford to go to matches so if you've got a family at home who've got you know a a tv that you can stream something on they'd quite happily pay their 200 quid a year to watch any premier league football they'd want to or, or their team rather than sort of the 50 odd quid it'll cost them almost per head to go to a live match if they're you know, if if they're not, you know, it's not even about being rich. It's even just having a normal amount of money. That's, it's not a, it's not a small amount of money to be coming out of your pocket every other week, is it? No, definitely isn't, mate. It's a, uh, it's, it's a hefty chunk, especially in uh, Liverpool's new stand. If you, the rumours to be believed as well. well I didn't yeah, even the... have a fucking idea that they were building a new stand until today. Like literally, I had no idea. <laughs> well, it's been it's been in the works for a while because I think. Um, FSG something did something very similar with um, Fenway Park in Boston. Um, they um, they essentially rebuilt a stand and hikes up the prices there. I was reading, so it's it's a, it's a business model that seems to work. It's not as if Anfield's not going to be sold out for every game as it is, and th- they've got the issue there. If you've ever been, the fact that essentially it is boxed in on every side mm. by housing, um, so it's not like Tottenham who were sort of putting businesses out of out of. Uh, out of house and home, it was they're actually putting families out of uh, a roof off the red. So they've they've got to be slightly more sensitive about that than than others. And you know, there there are a literal stones throw away from Goodison Park as well. So they've got all that sort of lack of room to really manoeuvre. So it's it was always going to be a case where they were going to have to sort of just knock down and rebuild in the similar sort of 
place and well in exactly the same place and just have to grin and bear the the time where they they're not allowed full capacity. Fifty six thousand. Fifty six thousand. It's a pretty big stadium. It's already it's already over forty, isn't it, Anfield? But it's, it's about yeah. 42, 43, is it? Uh, yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh well. Anyway, Still going to be smaller a... than ours, so fuck him. Um, we. I think about it was about ten minutes ago that I said we we should probably start talking about Tottenham. Yeah. Um, it's not even like we're doing badly and we've got anything to avoid anymore. No, not at all. Quite the opposite. I mean, deadline day. I I would have liked another strike, but there wasn't really a, a clear option. Glad we didn't go with Berahino. That's about it, really. I, I, I think I'm quite bored of speaking about Berahino now. Yeah, it's done, really, isn't it? Um, we've we've sort of drawn our line in the sand where that's concerned. Yeah. Um, Colchester. It was quite quite an interesting. I think the scoreline was pretty flattering to us. If I if I am brutally honest, um, well, flattering and it wasn't in respect of like I don't think we played particularly well. But we're obviously a much, much better team than Colchester. Team who we've never played in competition before either, which yeah. is quite interesting. Yeah, it was nice that wasn't it? Yeah. it was a new, new fixture. Um, I think uh, I remember saying their stadium cost less than yeah. Nusa Dembele cost us to buy. So it's sort of that's the the difference in the size and, and power of the clubs at the minute. So it was it was always going to be a one sided affair if if Tottenham even concentrated for a little part of it and I think that was the case wasn't it they they didn't exert themselves in the same manner they would against a Premier League team but they did it just about enough no. to get past them it was almost like you know when you, you've you got a younger sibling and they, you hold them by the wrists and make them <laughs> hit themselves it was, it was that sort of a thing where when they wanted to sort of not even go a gear up but just press the pedal down a little bit harder Colchester couldn't cope and they were helped by the fact that I think both their centre-backs got hurt within sort of 10 minutes um, so it was, well, it was um, pretty horrible that he had like a, a horrible fit didn't he he got hit so, I think he must have gotten caught on the temple or something somewhere that's quite a, a dodgy part because I, I don't know if he like seized up and all these muscles were kind of going a bit like I don't know did you ever see that scary video that used to do the rounds um, on YouTube a, a player in like the Saudi Arabian league or something who like lands on his head funnily and he just has this funny fit on the pitch where he's like running backwards and doing somersaults and stuff like that. And he actually survived, but when you watch the video, it's it's, it's really horrifying. Um, and obviously, like the title of the the film is something like you know, such and such player is touched by the angel of death, and this kind of Jesus. Like, yeah, has it got um, has it got what do you call it, evanescence in the background? That's usually on a YouTube clip somewhere. Uh, no, 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 bring me to life. That would have been a bit too on the nose. Yeah, it? but uh, we shouldn't really be laughing at this man who's gone through a significant amount of pain. That was years ago, and he's fine, so don't worry about it. Ah, sorry. Right. But we've, well, we know about this from sort of uh, having had Fabrice Mwamba um, have his unfortunate. Um, heart trouble on on during our FA Cup tie and, and things so it's it's never it's it's one of those things that you don't actually ever want to see anybody go through whether no. or not it's it's on your team or somebody else so it's one of those where sort of sport becomes secondary um which is it's heartwarming to see that there is some level of humanity remaining in in, uh, in sport and things so it's um no, it, it, like I say, with the game though, it, it sort of it went as you expected it to. We got a bit lucky with that Eric Dyer strike, and um, Chadley enjoyed himself. He's a bit of a bully, isn't he, Chadley? Um, just sort of turning up and, and smashing him in when he when he fancies um, in every way possible. I was going to say, yeah. 
he'd, uh, he'd have enjoyed himself in Essex that night, I'm, I'm sure. Um, so it was, it was, you know, it was as professional as you'd have wanted. I think the only time that I was slightly not concerned, but perhaps not as enthused as I had been for the rest of the game was sort of the way in which they started the second half. Because I think they were, I think they thought it was job done a little bit more than it was. Um, but they did just end up sort of swatting culture through away like a fly and a nuisance after that that, that period passed. Um, they had they had one good player though, Colchester. That that winger on the left, he he seemed to cause a few problems. He did that. He had that nice little trick and turn in the middle, didn't he? And then gave the ball yeah. away hopelessly. But it was still yeah. pretty still pretty talented. It was full of intention, yeah. which is essentially all you want. I imagine how, how he takes is a piece he? of a. You know. I've not a clue. I'd never heard of the bloke before. No. It's the first time I've ever seen him. You never know. Um, but he, um, no, he he was the one that hit the post when the ball hit Ben Davies and went in. I thought um, Tom Carroll seemed to draw a lot of flack. And do you, do you think there's any? I mean, my thoughts on Tom Carroll are that you know, number one, he it's it's kind of like that Michelle Vaughan thing. You know, it's, this is a guy that doesn't play week in week out for us. He has been of late. Okay, admittedly, yes. But he's still, he's probably not as up to speed as a lot of the players around him are still. No, and, I think and he's the, just the other not, thing with Carroll is um, his stature. Because I think playing alongside Bentaleb rather than playing alongside Dembele or Dyer, he he probably needs somebody a bit bigger next to him just so that they can do the, the physical work and he can get along with recycling the ball and perhaps taking it forwards and, but, and being the shuttler a bit more. Even that aside, like I, I, it's it's kind of like people seem to get angry that he's not, you know, that he's not punching at the same level as someone like Deli Ali or whoever. I mean, mm. pl- players like this are still essential. You need to have players. He seems to be a lad that's happy to kind of go along with it. He's happy to be on the bench. He's happy to fill in when we need him. And I would say he's of a certain quality whereby he is useful, but he's never going to be relied upon really he's just useful to have around the place because you know he knows the club he he, he is handy when you know in in spells the white john Obi mckellar you're trying to well, say yeah basically and i, I don't know just pe- pe- people seem to I, I, well I, you, you need those players don't yeah. you you've got to have some sort of reliable depth the and class of 92 had nicky butt him. you know i'm not saying he's he's on nicky butt's level, but they still did you know yeah, um, you've got to have players who are who have that squad rotation place within there, especially if you're going to be in as as many competitions towards the business end of the the season as we have. We've still got Europa League football yet to come back against decent teams. Um, if we get past Fiorentina, we've got the FA Cup where we get in. You know, I think we're only a game away from Wembley now, so it's not as if that's a, a joke anymore. That's not a you know a competition that's. It's. It wouldn't be silly of us to say that's that's something that we shouldn't be thinking about trying to do well in. Um, and the Premier League's going as well, it's not going as well as you can imagine. It's going miles better than you could have ever dreamt really this season. So, um, I it's it's a funny one. I think. Uh, did you see? I think Spooky did a tweet when Fazio left um, because that's uh, we we essentially got rid of players this January rather than buying anyone in. When Fazio went back on loan, he said, "Oh, who are it's sort of tongue in cheek?" He said, "Who's going to be the." Uh, the, the fall guy now who's going to be the scapegoat and somebody replied to him going, don't pretend like you don't know it's already Tom Carroll. Yeah. 
and it's almost as if that's his his natural position within the squad to be sort of the new William Gallas and whoever it was before him and whoever it was before that, the Kyle Walker every other week, and that seems to be the the position that uh, they seem to need somebody to point the finger up because it's, it's, it's it strange though. It's so it. I just think it's so grossly unfair. I, I don't I, I don't understand why there's that issue differentiating between like like anger and just acceptance that someone isn't that good but it's not something to be angry about like not every if if Tom Carroll was as good as Eliza Deli Ali Ben Taleb maybe even Ryan Mason like well, I don't think he's miles off Ryan Mason to be fair but um perhaps more of those higher end players he's not going to be happy just sitting on the bench then we're going to have a problem like it, it's just you know not every player is going to be great they're not just deal with that but if they're good enough to do the jobs that he's been doing yeah. against the teams that he's been doing it against, then he fulfills a very valuable so, role because Delhi Ali is not going to be Delhi Ali every week if he can't rest in the, the Colchester Cup game because nobody can play the 50-odd games a season that we're playing at the moment and and replicate their form all the way through it. So you, you need these players. It's it's You're on a hiding to nothing if you, if you start complaining about that because the second they go is the second that those same people start complaining that there's not enough depth in the squad. So you, you I don't think the club can really will because I think people at the end of the day, some people really do just support a team and sort of support in a manner that is just to vent their frustrations there are I, I do genuinely think that there are people who sort of almost treat football clubs as their own sort of stress ball to sort of you know uh, throw their week at mm. I think in, like, in some sort of way I mean like the issue is like two examples are like Kapu and Stambouli who are who are two players who were brought into yeah Kapu who, uh, well, it really is an old school show. We're talking about Etty and Kapoor. We usually do a sort of a ten minute back and forth about the fact that his name. Yeah, um, and then we got a shit third person on instead. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to bully him anymore. Yeah, so, Stop uh, yeah, it. I apologise. Yeah, he's. Uh, oh, I mean, those two. They're, they're two players that you know they were pretty average. I mean, Kapoor's showing that he's pretty decent in spells and. To be fair to him, yeah, he was quite good before he got that injury at Arsenal. Uh, well, um, he always did. He always had he always had um, one or two good games here and there yeah. before he'd inevitably sort of. He always seemed very mentally fragile whenever we saw him because he'd he'd end up making one mistake or sort of being late on the challenge, and then he'd go hide for the next sort of four games, which was just an incredibly strange thing to watch because it's not as if he sort of some wallflower or nah. like a. You know, he's not a, he's not sort of somebody who should really be scared of the physicality of the league or anything like that. It just, it genuinely did seem to be something in his head that just sort of switched off whenever he did something wrong, and he didn't seem to have that inbuilt thing that some players have where they, they want to sort of prove themselves right after doing something wrong. That that want to sort of reconcile for for their mistakes, and uh, we um. You know, it was good business to get rid of him, and he's doing all the better for for playing regular football. Now, so it's. Or we could go back to Paulinho, who genuinely just didn't seem to give a fuck either way. Like just. No, he's, he's earning a king's ransom in yeah. China now with the rest of the Brazilian squad. So couldn't give a fuck. Such a frustrating mm. footballer. Anyway, fuck those lot. Um, let's. Yeah, I don't know why we've gone back there. I think we genuinely do somewhere in our head think it is that season now, just because it is us two. That's it, right? I know. One um, of us going to have a Tim Sherwood rant in a minute. No. Mate, don't stick up for AVB. Don't utter that name on this pod. Him, Tim Shirt. Fucking. 
how good is it not to be with him anymore? It, I, th- I genuinely think the fact that we experienced what we experienced under Tim Sherwood has made this Pochettino experience all the better because it is genuinely sort of being at one of the lowest I can remember. Yeah, the the team, the the players themselves, the supporters, and the support of this, everything. Everyone was so down in the dumps with having gone through what we went through with Tim Sherwood and sort of the fatuous relationship that everybody had. It wasn't long ago that Hugo Lloris said he was he was considering his options that summer before Pochettino was brought in because he, he there was such a a toxic atmosphere about the place and the fact that we've gone from from that to this in sort of a much shorter time frame than anyone had ever expected. I mean, Pochettino's first competitive game in charge we've won away at West Ham in the last minute it was almost as if everything had been forgotten within moments and it's been on the up and up since then I absolutely love him I absolutely love him and did you hear that well well, it's a nice segue into Norwich obviously we won 3-0 I don't know if you've seen the video that the uh the official account shared the other day of him walking over to the away yeah and with the moment you, you obviously you can't unless you're studying it with a microscope you can't see Pochettino going over to the fans but it just says listen out for the moment when the uh, when Pochettino claps the away fans or whatever and you just hear them all roaring and everyone's like cheering it just uh, I don't know there's something special about the guy I really think there is um, but I was, I was having this chat actually um, with Charlotte and my dad the other day we were talking about like the the rational and the just the arguments either way for do we need to worry about United or Chelsea in summer? And I do, I know we've spoken about this on the pod before, but I still, I can't help but feel like we sound like Southampton fans must have done before, before he left for us. You know, I mean, people say, oh, you're not going to go to United, you're going to go to Chelsea. It's a poison chalice. They go through managers, you know, they, have a unsettled squad. They have the so on and so forth. So many of the things that could have been applied to us when he took over at Spurs, and has since reversed. But I still have my concerns that he's going to look at us. And I know we have a great project in place. We have the stadium lined up. Everything is going well. But at the same time, just the spending power and the prestige behind behind him if he was at United or if he was at Chelsea and that feeling that if he could have a, like a frank and open discussion with someone like Abramovich or whatever fucking corporation runs Manchester United nowadays that he might be able to have his own stake in that and really push for something a lot sooner than he might get at Spurs because I, I'm sure it must be a concern for him at the end of the day still with Spurs that the wheels could come off of this and then what happens? He gets sacked and that's his reputation in tatters. It's done. Or does he well, make look the at, move now when it's still, you know, when he's still prime real? Look at the, the way in which he's dealt with the sort of player that, that, that level of club tend to collect these high ego, mm. very self-involved sort of, you know, rightfully confident in their own abilities out of people. He's, he got rid of Adebayor as soon as he could. He stopped playing him just because he, he, he wouldn't, you know, fit into the form of football he wanted to 
Gaston Ramirez at Southampton was cast aside almost instantly because, again, although he has all the natural talent in the world, he, he wouldn't apply that in the way in which Pochettino wanted him to. Although he bought Pablo Osvaldo, the fact that sort of his, his temperament didn't marry with what he was trying to do at Southampton didn't you know his pride of making the transfer and sort of suggesting it didn't get in in the way of him casting to one side as well and and getting him out of the club as soon as possible so he's he's had this track record with sort of can you imagine if he went to Chelsea and he had Diego Costa and he had these sort of people I don't think Roman Abramovich would want to see him him start with Patrick Bamford up front with, with Ruben Loftus-Cheek behind him I think he would sort of He'd have a bit of a fit. He'd probably um, want to see Harry Kane in the team, mate, which would be well. Yeah, there for is us. that sort of thing. So, I mean, uh, there are there is a food chain in football, and it has to do with money. Where obviously higher in that hierarchy than Southampton are, you, you you don't have to look further than the the people that we've poached from them in the the recent history to see that. But sideways step, again, mate. Sideways step. <laughs> then again, there's. Um, there's there's bigger fish in the sea as well. You know, Manchester United may well be a joke at the moment, an absolute institutional embarrassment with the way in which the club is being run from from top to tail. But they are still Manchester United. Yeah. They are still one of the three biggest clubs in the world. Um, so there is, you know, you'd have to begrudgingly admit at least that if you were just talking in terms of size of the club and sort of the um, the notoriety with having that name on your CV. Manchester United are, are are attractive prospect in that sense. As, as a footballing prospect, I'm not entirely sure that's somewhere anybody would want to go at the moment. Perhaps only Jose Mourinho because I don't think Manchester United have any other options than Jose Mourinho. I don't think Jose Mourinho has any options but Manchester United. So I think that's all. <laughs> they're almost a, a match made in heaven at the moment. It seems somewhat inevitable that that will at some point happen and, and they're either going to be, you know, a, a perfect fit for the time being or it's going to go horribly wrong and we're just going to have to wait and see I think uh, uh, you know, I don't want to spend too long on Manchester United but can you imagine sort of the way in which that Pochettino recruits now with with Mitchell where he he plucks out these these players and things that you've from the youth team and things that he's he's going for rather than the Mitchell the um the the Woodward approach, sorry, which is who's got the highest rating on FIFA and who's you know yeah. who's on the front of four four two this month. Can we buy these and and overpay for them now, please, before selling them on elsewhere because they've failed to settle. You can um, imagine Woodward's the kind of bloke that's like my son and his friends often talk about ex player. Can we look into him perhaps? The young people seem to like him. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if he's seen that Ronaldinho's out of contract and has yeah. had a word with someone. Because uh, he, he strikes me as that type of... He came from the uh, the financial area of Manchester United. He had nothing to do with the football inside of it whatsoever. And it and it shows in, in the way in which he's dealt with the club. Um, and, you know, David Gill was, uh, you know, in, their, in his own sort of world, in his own sort of way, a big, you know, set of shoes to fill just as Sir Alex Ferguson was so to have lost both of those at the same time was you know essentially the the large functioning body of Manchester United going at once so um, I'm not sure that's a club that Pochettino would really flourish at this time being uh, the the comparison I, I make directly is um, is what Diego Simeone has managed to achieve by staying at Atletico mm. Madrid 
rather than than jumping ship because he will have had offers. He will have had much more lucrative offers to go elsewhere. But by earning an autocracy there, by earning the respect of not only his players but the board and the fans, he's been able to build something. And and sort of it was he won a cup in his second year there after overachieving with sort of limited resources compared to what else was available in the league um, with obviously Madrid and Barcelona. And then that gave them the belief to kick on and win the league the following year. And I'm I'm not saying this is going to happen because we're obviously going to win the league this year, not next year. But um, Pochettino's still in his second year at the club. I mean, if if he has a third year, if he has another run-up, if he's even more comfortable in his surroundings if Daniel Levy trusts him even more if you know we manage to keep hold of Deli Ali, Hugo Lloris the you know all of them seem to have signed new contracts so there's no need to sell any of them there is a core there and a manager that has seen that through that you would it would it would be entirely heartbreaking if that was to to end prematurely um for any reason and I, I would hope that those that are there recognise the the sort of the good thing that they've got going because because um, if they don't then it'll it'll always be it'll be a bigger what if than than when Harry Redknapp decided he was England manager while he was still managing Spurs oh, that damn, season. Um, so so it, it, I, I'm I don't expect Pochettino to be sort of giving up halfway through his season. But if if something were to happen during the summer, it would be. Uh, it would be a, it would probably be a bigger loss than than Modric or Bale. Um, it, it it really does feel. I I know we kind of I think we fall into that trap of sounding like fucking Del Boy, the Tottenham fan base. You know, this time next year we're going to be millionaires. But it really does. It does feel that like this is something different. I mean, I think probably like the most palatable sense of excitement and of change for me in my lifetime um, before this point was not even Redknapp. It was probably the Yol era because I can remember before Yol literally supporting Spurs was just probably like someone who supports, I don't know, up until this season, a team like fucking Stoke or something where you're just kind of happy to be in the Premier League. You're happy to occasionally beat one of the big teams, but you usually know you're going to get spanked. You expect to beat, the teams below you, you're not going to be in Europe and you just go. And I can remember when, when Yol came in, um, we went from, it, it almost felt like we, we went from being like the Harry Kane, if you like, of the Premier League to suddenly, well, yeah, I mean, we actually were kind of the Harry Kane of the Premier League of, before that point, we were sort of that figure of fun and we knew it and we didn't really mind. It was just kind of, we were Spurs and, you know, we hadn't won anything since the early 90s, the FA Cup, and we were never going to be in Europe. And then suddenly Yol came along and things started to move. And it it was suddenly yeah. like, hang on a second, like, this this is different. This this is something else now. We're not just kind of in a good run of form. Like, it looks like this, there's a there's a platform here and this this lad's actually doing well and we, we've got a few good players now we don't just have Teddy Sheringham and Jürgen Klinsmann like or just David David Ginola it looks like we've got a team now and it looks like we've got an idea um and it, it especially with Keane and Berbatov yeah and it's it's just it, I don't know it just feels that way a bit now mate. it feels like there's there's something else to this now if it, it feels like this is this is like a step up like 
it's fluctuated. So from that from that Yol era, we've kind of we've we've Yol was definitely he was he was the the touch paper for what is happening yeah. now. We wouldn't be in the position we were now. And I think every manager since that point has has played a role yeah, positively definitely. or negatively in in sort of the the evolution of Tottenham Hotspur in that sort of that ten years now since since he left the club almost. What did, when did he leave? Two thousand seven. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so 2006-2007. So we are fast approaching 10 years since him being at the club. Um, and if you if you sort of count that era of him, the, the two, three years that he spent as a, as the coach, and then up until now, you know, directly afterwards, Juan de Ramos won a cup and he sort of, he brought a more continental approach to the club and that failed. And, and when Harry Redknapp came, he essentially, he, although we go a lot about how, Perhaps poorly he did as a as a tactical manager in the fact that he, given the squad we had <laughs> under him, he, he, he and given what we know now, he, he probably did underachieve. He allowed the club to sort of express itself in a way that it hadn't been confident confident enough in itself to do previously, which was you know his biggest asset. I think is sort of his own you know sort of. His own way of dealing with himself almost rubbed off on on the the club a little bit. There was a, a level of sort of swagger and arrogance in That's what we it. did, which um, he puts on the which, map more. I feel like to a, yeah, to a global it, audience. I think that's what we have to yeah, give Harry. Yeah, the, champ- the Champions League run was obviously fantastic, and and all of that sort of fed into the self belief the squad had, and then moving on to AVB, it was sort of the fact that we didn't stick with Redknapp and we went for a manager like AVB, it showed a level of ambition to progress that, you know, keeping Redknapp may well not have done. It would have sort of been more of the same and sort of doing that step up again was, it was sort of the what we tried to do or what we are doing with Pochettino, but the first time just at a slightly failed attempt because perhaps the, the squad wasn't good enough at the time and the personality wasn't there, but... We we almost tasted what it would be like to be that level of club by the fact that we had one player who was the best player in the league by a country mile for the majority of a season, um, and then you know Tim Sherwood came in and reminded us of what it was to be shit, so that we could appreciate Pochettino more. And obviously the the knock on effect of Sherwood, if you had to give him any credit, is the fact that he he did use one or two more youth products than than AVB had been willing to. Um, I think Ben Taleb is his his biggest success story. I mean, I don't agree with him taking any credit for anyone else because he essentially only threw Harry Kane in for the last few games of the season as sort of a a political gesture rather than him actually having any conviction in in his ability. Because well, if Kane he had himself done, has pretty much dispelled that, not directly, but he's attributed in as many words. Yeah, he's attributed everything to. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Pochettino. Yeah. So it's, you know, everything has sort of happened for a reason and we've ended up winding our way here now to the point where, you know, in the text group between me, you and Seb yesterday, things got a little bit silly when we were 2-0 up <laughs> away at Norwich and sort of uh, looking at finishing the the night above Arsenal in the league. We we sort of had a conversation which we, we sort of went, uh, what can we do here? And we sort of... We had a we indulged ourselves for a brief moment, and then we we calmed down again and and sort of uh, <laughs> and uh, and tried to sort of um, check ourselves a little bit. But it's... I'm I'm kind of getting to that point now, mate. Where I'm really I know you are. No, no, I, I, I mean more so. I was thinking about this day. It's just like I don't want to think about. I don't want to say we can or can't do this. I'm just going to start enjoying the ride a bit. I know it sounds really corny and it is quite corny, but it's the only, it's the only terms I can really put it in. It's just, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm just going to see where this takes us because I think it's, it's this, this season is too fucking hard to quantify now. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely There are too shit. many variables yet to come. I mean, Look at Leicester. If, it's fucking yeah. insane. It is insane yeah. what they're doing. And we, I mean, we, the thing is we've, We've been in this position before, and we know what it is to to do well from here on in, and and to to fail from here on in. And we've got the Europa League yet to come. We've got an FA Cup run, which we 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 may well do very well in. Um, we've got a winnable tie against Crystal Palace at home, and then we're in. It's the semi-finals after that, isn't it? So it's it's not as if it's. Um, it's not as if it's been a bad season, regardless. If we, we're not going to sit here on the last day of the season and bemoan the league title not having been won. If uh, if it comes down to that, because I think it's already been a success. I mean, the, I was speaking to some some of my mates today, and they were sort of speaking about Tottenham and going, you know, you you're above Arsenal now. You're not that far off the top of the table. And I had to say to them, that's not not a concern. You know, it's it's a it's an happy accident. You know. Before the season, it was happy with top six, just want to see the club play well, do well, progress. And the fact that we're doing that ahead of schedules, just, uh, you know, it's just a bonus. So I I don't want to... You end up setting yourself up for a fall as a fan, don't you? If, you? if you expect too much, you will always not get it. Whereas if you sort of... If you... If you're happy at the happy times and sad at the sad times, you you end up leveling out a bit better than than people who sort of set themselves up for inevitable fall and disappointment all the time. Because make us dream. they have a sense of entitlement that they they may well not have. I mean, it's sort of it's the uh, it's tweeting sign. Musa Dembele at the Spurs account, but on a larger scale, isn't it? Expecting yeah. too much from the season, so it's um, I'm, I'm happy, I'm delighted, but I'm sort of just uh, just cautious about how far I uh, I allow myself to indulge that. I know uh, you're gonna believe. No, 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 no. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there. But we are gonna win the double. 
God, imagine if we did win the double this year. We've got we've got a treble on. Fuck, we do have a treble on. Do you know what? I I would. I was thinking about it the other day. I was actually thinking about it because I won the UEFA Cup on FIFA. That's quite pathetic. I know Europa well League. Done. I should say. Um, I was, I'm happy with you calling it UEFA Cup. There's a better competition battle. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking though, it'd be it would be you know, a big European night. Europa League final would be fucking brilliant. Be so good to win it. Be so. I good. thought we said we we weren't allowing ourselves that. I know, I know, but I'm doing it. Fuck, I'm just. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's answer some questions. Um, we have had so Sean Gormley at Sean P Gormley says, "Does Jack have screenshots saved for everyone who's blocked him?" He found those miles from Football Manager pictures really fast. No, I, I, I don't, Sean. It was just it was simply because I wanted to see who the bloke was. I wasn't sure. I, I thought it might be Miles from Sports Interactive, but I clicked on this thing and then I saw that I was blocked. And then, obviously, given what I'm like on Twitter, I, I searched my name and his name to see what I'd said to him to make him do that. Um, and yeah, I've been blocked by Miles from Sports Interactive because. He posted a picture of a big, horrible-looking burger, and I just replied to it saying, horrendous. And he seems to block me as a result of saying that to him. So uh, we were going to try and get him on the show tonight because he's a Watford fan, isn't he? But alas. He... They are currently 75 minutes into a match with Chelsea nil-nil, so I believe that Watford fans are otherwise, uh, otherwise engaged, which is why there's not any of them. On the show, he's always been quite tetchy, Miles from SI. If I remember, though, he's. he's always... I've always heard that he very nice things about him, yeah. um, but I've, I've never had any interactions with him whatsoever myself. But I've always heard of him to be one of those notoriously nice people. No, that, that's, so I, that's I, all I've done is just call a burger horrendous. That's my. That's like my one involvement with him. I mean, I... you didn't call him a nonce or anything like that. Did you? <laughs> no. No. Um, it's not out of the question for you. No, no, it's not at all. It's definitely not. <laughs> um, I do like to deliberately Burger throw nuts. that around. I've said it in the office, not this workplace, actually, in fairness, but like my last workplace, I'd just sort of like casually throw out, oh, come on, like, you know, pass us that, you nonce, kind of thing. And people give you that look and you kind of forget, oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not on Twitter here. I'm, I'm in real life. You can't just accuse someone of being a kiddie fiddler. It's like your own version of Mr. Robot, if you can't differentiate yeah. in real life on that. Um, anyway. Jack gets fired from another job for calling his boss a dog nonce. <laughs> oh, God, I'd love to do that. Stick your job, you great fucking stat nonce. Um, Joe Gibbons asks, at Go Gibbons, what would you prioritise, League Cup or Europe? Um, no. Does that mean is league and cup two separate words? Because we're out of the league cup. Uh, okay, yeah, maybe league, comma, cup. Yeah, is, is there not a comma in that? No, it just says league, cup, or Europe. So it's, that's disappointing lack of punctuation. Mm. Oh, unless he means would you, for next season, would you prioritise the league, cup, or Europe? No, I think he means this year, uh, league, cup, or Europe, because we still have a league campaign, mm. a cup campaign. That's the way in which I'm going to interpret it. If you want to interpret it the other way, and answer a separate question, you can do. Um, this year, um, I'd have I'd have the the FA Cup over anything. To be honest, I healthy think success. Be, mm, FA Cup would be be the one I'd I'd be after because I I think it's it, it gives you a knowledge of how to win um, in a way that sort of finishing fourth doesn't. Um, you sort of having that day at Wembley, having that that pressure final. Um, 
being able to kick on from there. I mentioned what Athletic did by sort of winning the Copa del Rey that year and then the league the year after. Manchester City did exactly the yeah. same with, with Mancini. Um, they they almost needed that FA Cup to, just to teach them how to get over the finish line. And um, it can have that, that effect. I'm not Obviously, I'm not saying that's, you know, DJ Khaled, key to success is the FA Cup or anything, although they, they don't want us to win. Um <laughs> I, I yeah I just think it's it's the it's the one that perhaps would do do the most positive for for exactly where we are. I mean, when we got to the League Cup final last year and we played Chelsea, even though we'd smashed them in the game before, and it it was clearly a game of men against boys on the occasion, just because they were they were a team full of people who were used to those occasions, and we were the young nucleus side with the, the young manager there, and we gave good had, account of ourselves. So we gave is, a very yeah. good account of ourselves. I mean, they, they only won by two deflected goals. It wasn't as if we were we were completely bossed, but just sort of there their calmness and the way in which they seemed to approach it was a little bit more, you know, they, they seemed more comfortable all in all compared to what we were. And it's I think just that, big, that big game experience though, isn't it? Like you say. Exactly. So if you, if you're to win an FA cup, then um, I think that gives you a little bit of a little extra inch done it, a little bit of a uh, bit of pride and a little arch in your back. So it's um, something I'd, uh, I'd, um, I'd, glorious, I'd definitely mate. not turn it down. I'll not turn it. Glorious down. is winning the FA Cup. It's it's our cup as well. It's our trophy, isn't it? But yeah, I've like I say every time we bring it up, I've not seen us win it in my lifetime. So I, I would quite like for that to happen. Those ribbons, the Tottenham yeah. ribbons, love it. That's uh, the one. Um, let's have a look now. Nick Cohen at Nick the Yid sixty one. Given it might now be an obstacle to the Champions League rather than a route into it, would you throw the Europa League? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't throw. No. Not not even to like pontificate and get all kind of like holier than now. But I'm never going to want Spurs to lose a game. It's just it's you know what's the point? Right. It's not even that for me. It's the fact that imagine if Spurs were to go go out against Fiorentina purposefully give a poor account of themselves and then fail to get into the top four on the back of that as well. Yeah. Um, you've sort of you've thrown one competition you could have done very well in and sort of counted your chickens elsewhere and you've sort of it may spread as slightly thin, it may cost us in the league, but you've got to you've got to give it your best best chance. I mean, we're not bigger than that competition. Uh, that's the the simple fact of it. If Tottenham Hotspurs to win the Europa League, that is not a it's not the Peace Cup, it's not, you know, an intertoto competition. It's it's a piece of silverware that is well worth winning. And similar to what I was saying about the FA Cup, there is absolutely no harm in a squad learning how to win and having a winning mentality fostered from that. So the more that they can do that, the more that they can experience winning as a team and, and doing that together is, is a positive. And I think as soon as you start to even allow that creeper mentality of being too good for certain things. I think that's when um, when you start getting too big for your boots and when things start coming to bite you in your ass. And the fact that the Tottenham mentality at the moment is is even, you know, you go, you go hard away against Norwich, even though you know you're better than they are. That's how, that's where the success has come from. There is no airs and graces about this team there. They put a shift in no matter who they play against, and that's that's exactly the way it should be, yeah. and that's the way you'd want it to be. 
Well said, mate. Well said. Um, Mike Smuggy Mike asks, "What are the best pubs near the lane?" Um, Is that actually his Twitter handle, or are you just tick of the piss? No, Smuggy Mike. <laughs> I thought you knew him or something. Well, I, I chat to him every now and again, and he's very smug. He's uh, he's an unpleasant character. Actually, he's a pretty awful human. Text one to no one. Very well, yeah. He's he's very problematic. Um, <laughs> yeah. What was the question? Sorry, I got distracted by. Something. He just asked, "What are the best pubs near the lane?" Um, Depends what you want to do, mate. I've only ever, whenever I go with my daddy, we go to the Bell and Air next door. Yeah. We've I've never really ventured too far. It's called like number eight now or something. It's got like a is different. It, is it not called yeah. Bell and Air? Anymore? No, not officially, but everyone calls it the Bell. So it's, oh, it's right. going to be. But you got Billy Nick Antwerp. Antwerp Arms is my favourite actually now. I like the Antwerp Arms. But the Brick Layers, which is good for singing, there's various different ones. But karaoke, is it? There you go. Yeah, it is a bit. It's. It's, I bet you'd be a laugh on a karaoke night out. Oh yeah, mate. I'm, I fucking I'll give it some. I'll, I'll I'll get out all the big numbers on a karaoke night, like a bit of something like a bit of spando ballet, gold, something like oh, that. Oh, you do there. corny one. Yeah, yeah. I oh, do all no, the corny no. ones, mate. I love what I, I, do, I do. A bit uh, of anything though. I do. I ever do some old swing classics, mm-hmm. Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, or I do the uh, uh, late nineties, early two thousand, sexy R and B. There ain't nothing wrong. Do better that. <laughs> um, no, more like sort of uh, Joe and uh, early Neo. Destiny's Child. I can do good Destiny's Child. If there's more than one of you, so you can harmonise on Bills, Bills, Bills or something like that. Oh, can't do, do it now. No, I can't do it now. I'm, I'm not drunk enough. Um, <laughs> but if uh, no, but if you if you have got. A couple of drinks down you and, and people you're comfortable enough around. <laughs> um, it's a it's a giggle, isn't it? I Go got five on it. Um, Loonies. Yeah. Uh, what have we got here? Da, da, da. Sean McCann at SB78. What is responsible for the downfall of Bentaleb? Last year, player of the year contender. This year, he's the worst performer. That's a bit harsh, Sean. That's really harsh. That's he's played a bit about harsh. He's been played injured. a handful of games and he's been injured. He's, he's yeah. yet to find the pace of the team. He's, 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 he's invariably being a bit of a knob, but he's just he's a kid, isn't he? I don't he? think we've got any proof of that, have we? It's just that that sort of well, speculation. He, he, no, uh, him and like, Pochettino is on record saying that you know he's had to have a talk with Bentaleb about how the team dynamic works. and. Well, he's obviously got a... Got to earn his way back yeah. into the team, and I think that's where but, the I think that's where the consternations come from. There's obviously going to be a disappointment there from yeah. him, the fact that he and was. You want that? He was a don't you? you want that from your players? Yeah, you, you don't want him to be Adi Bayor or Ben White who are happy with the box every game. Yeah, you know, but, but uh, at the same time, you don't want him to be a knob end either. No, and I, I think um, the the one part that is widely speculated that I, we obviously don't have anything concrete on is that he was a bit of a twat about contract negotiations and stuff as well but you know I think he just wanted paying in line with sort of we where we famously underpay players mm. compared to other clubs I mean I the, the example I always give is the fact that before we qualified for the Champions League that season Luka Modric was earning 16,000 pounds <laughs> a week I love it there are championship players on more than that it's very funny and there will have been championship players on more than that at the time as well. It's not just television money. That's Daniel Levy doing his magical contract, um, which is exactly the reason why Harry Kane gets a new contract every six months because he earns his pay rise. And although sort of it may be a nominal 10, 15 grand here and there, I'm sure it adds up. It takes him into the next tax bracket and uh, I'm sure it's, you know, I, I, the, the hospitals are, are welcoming of that extra money. I reckon though... Uh... 
Sean, like you know, if you if you look at the the rest of the season, we've got more. I believe we've got more than double the amount of games that Leicester City have still left to play. We're gonna be seeing a lot more Bentaleb. We're probably gonna be seeing more of Mason if he gets fit again. You know, a lot. Yeah, it'd of be nice. It'd the, be nice if the... perhaps in the cup competitions, Mason and Bentaleb could recapture that partnership. So it was lovely, form. wasn't it? That, that little yeah, thing and then you on. and then you can sort of chop and change between those two and and Dyer and Ali and and you've got two ready-made happy constructive partnerships there and that's not a it's not a bad place to be whatsoever mm, it's good a little bit of competition isn't bad i mean we've we see this all the time the fact that the fact that ben davies and danny rose are running each other so close this year the fact that danny rose's market improved last season was as a direct consequence of the fact that he had some competition in the squad kyle walker and kieran trippier seem to be kicking each other on i mean that they're sort of stylistically slightly different a bit of their variants on one another, but they 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 both are trying to the best of their ability at the moment just because um there's a bit of competition there. So it's not a bad thing whatsoever. All all of the all of the best and biggest teams in the world have some competition for places and and there is obviously some people trying to get in there and I think once once people start to get too comfortable it's it's never a good thing. No. Definitely not. Um we've got Spurs memory man at THFC memory man who says, which other opposing player has caused Spurs the most harm now that Terry will be leaving Chelsea? That's a good Charlie question. Adam. Charlie, yeah, Charlie Adam. In terms of, like, if you're taking harm in a literal sense. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's harmed us quite a lot. Uh, Adebayor, when he played against us, and he will be probably playing against us mm-hmm. with Crystal Palace, he, he regularly scored against us. Mm-hmm. Um, Thierry Henry, obviously, that, that entire probably generation of Arsenal squad had a Theo Walcott often seems to do quite well against us irritatingly enough yeah it's it's very odd that given that he he can't really do much else in any other time he's shy he's not very good he's really not very and it's not even just the Arsenal thing it's, no no he's, he's, he just is he's, he's, he flatters to deceive in, to, in to be fair steps. like every time he does start to look decent he gets fucking injured so I, I feel for him on I don't yeah, but, it, him, but he's never had a brain injury, has he? So no. <laughs> his his decision making has uh, it, it could be linked to the the lack of football he may have played, but I don't think that's an excuse. He's been at Arsenal for ten years now, and I don't think he's actually got that much better as a player. And the fact that it's essentially been repeated with Alex Oxlade Chamberlain shows that perhaps there's an issue there with the coaching. Fuck well, maybe he is actually shit. Maybe he does just belong to the. It's the old generation, like they're so winger out now. It's ridiculous. Well, they, it they, is they've, interesting they've drawn to see the game, how they're falling they? off the pace though, because they they could have won it this year, and they still could. Don't get me wrong; like they still could. It was, but... it was always going to happen though. There's just always their fan base has almost got a creeping inevitability about sort of the negative aspect of it. I mean, I, they from what you hear. And what you read about sort of even what their own fans say about themselves, the ones that are honest enough to say it, they they always admit that the Emirates crowd are the first to sort of jump on a mistake and be waiting for something. And, you know, there's a joke about the atmosphere there, but there is that sort of that culture of sitting on your hands and waiting for something to happen and earning your polite clap and, and <laughs> things that doesn't seem conducive to excess. And obviously we are biased and and things like that. But even even if you if I was trying to be honest about it, I, I can't honestly say I, I ever thought that they had the metal or the the sort of the 
the rigidity that is needed to last an entire league campaign. Dunno, I did worry. I do I still do worry. I still Oh you you worry, but I I I, I was always confident mm. that something would go wrong. I mean, I, I still kind of worry that because they're not miles off the pace, but everyone's sort of written them off now completely already that that almost plays into their favour. I feel that that level of pressure, is the expectations kind of disappeared a bit and now they can sort of operate. And that will change if they go back to the top of the table. They pick up a couple of decent results. Teams around them don't perform so well. They go to the top of the table, the, the spotlight's straight back on them again. Um but they do, it's like you They're say, it's that mental strength, isn't it? Because they've got, they do, really, they do have the players capable of doing it. I think the defence is always a bit shoddy and they don't really Between have that. Between Ozil and Alexis Sanchez, they have two of the most naturally gifted players in the league. Yeah. I mean, the only ones you'd sort of put in that bracket really are David Silva and Sergio Aguero and Yaya Torre. Harry Kane. <laughs> and Harry Kane. Daniel, um, Eric Dyer. Um, Hugo Lloris. But yeah, Toby Alderweireld, Jan Vertonghen, all of them. We're going to win the fucking league, mate. We're going to win the double. We're going to win the treble. All of it. I was going to say, why do you keep saying double when there's a treble? On which one do you think we're not going to win? Oh, mate. Uh, this, is, uh, right, this is a question for you then. Uh, sack the two ones off. If we, if you had to pick two to win and one not to win, which ones would you pick? <laughs> league and cup double. If I had to pick. It would be League and Cup double. Yeah, it would be have to be the old FA Cup Premier League. It would, yeah, League and Cup have to be. It would have to be. It just it does. Although the Europa League is a good competition, and we stuck up for it before, it's just not got the same ring no, to it. It's, it's, it's sixty one again, isn't it? You know, it's the new Pochettino's the new Billy Nick. You know, oh that all that's, that's not that's not that, yeah that's not that that's not something that. you say, is it? No, you're not allowed to. Who's putting an orgy up there with him? With Billy Nick? What's he going on about then? That fucking elephant cunt. What's he talking about? Um, I don't, I'd like to think no one like that's listening to this, but they probably are, aren't they? Just don't don't think that way. If you if you do listen to this and you do think that way, like just don't. It's not very nice. Not very good. I'm not here to police your thoughts. You know, if you do want to be a xenophobe. Feel free to, but it does mean you're a terrible person. Um, I think that's it, Raj. Have you any any more matters of matter of business? So we just gone just over an hour. It's quite a good we little show. We talk about TV, about films. I went and watched. Uh, I've watched a couple of films this week. Gone I watched uh, the Big Short and the Revenant. So I've been catching up on all the Oscar films. I like the thing. I I, I like the Big Short. It was kind of like I was saying to you, like. A lot of the kind of the more finer, nuanced areas of the like the conversation when they're full flow, I did lose my way a bit, but I kind of saw enough of the overall picture to kind of see that bad stuff happened and it's kind of happening again. But what I thought was brilliant about the film is that despite the fact that I didn't really understand fully everything that was going on, the finest minutiae of it, it was a very captivating film and it kept my interest. It took me 10 minutes to get to grips with it because I was having a real issue with the editing at first because you know the way in which sort of little things flicker in and out, there's these little yeah. weird vignettes and things and the one thing that really sort of took me out of the film within the first five minutes was he did this thing where he kept on editing out a sentence before the 
last word had been finished said and I, I genuinely for like the first couple of times it happened thought they'd made a mistake and the film had gone out wrong and then the fact that it carried on happening throughout the entire film I thought oh this is a this is a thing it's sort of the fast paced way in which it's going he's obviously he's gone for a thing but I, I mean the, the the sort of the little asides with sort of the the chef and Margot Robbie and Selena Gomez I thought they worked really well and I think the the performances were all very good and I'm always a fan of breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Um, I think that's always a when it's done right. I think it's one of those uh, one of those like, little hidden gems of films. I like Steve Carroll, and I, I I do like him. As I'm, it's hard to say that was a straight role for him, but it is straight in some respects. Um, yeah. I, I I think he's a very good actor. I really I really like him. I like his screen presence. Um, yeah, he was he was very good. Yeah, I, I still think my favourite thing I've ever seen him in is Dan in Real Life. I don't know if you've seen that, but no, I haven't. It's it's a good film. It's good. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, I mean, it's not. It was, it was good in. Um, was it Little Miss Sunshine? He's very good in that. He is very good in that as well. Actually, I forgot who was in that. He's very very good in that. Um, no, no, well, you you don't really go wrong when you've got. Brad Pitt, Ryan Gosling, Christian Bale in your squad, in your uh, in your squad. Do well. yeah, that's what it's true, right? Um, uh, football talk creeping in then in your cast I meant um, Gosling's good in this as well actually yeah Gosling's sort of the thread that puts it all together I don't think Christian Bale has a scene with anybody else no I do like yeah. his intense character though he's he's, he's <laughs> he's really odd character yeah he's brilliant um, with his drumming and things yeah uh, it's weirdly off-putting that you never saw his wife other than the picture I, I didn't really get that. It was I guess it was kind of making a point that he was always he was so engulfed by his work and stuff. I assumed at first that she lived abroad or something, but it was just that he never fucking saw her, which was <laughs> yeah. He just constant. He hadn't left his office because he he's always in the same shirt and clothes. Yeah. Apart from when he goes in his suit around the banks. It's terrifying, but, but yeah, yeah. I I it is very well done. I think it's one of those that is sort of. Um, being being pitched at Lehman, it does its job very well. At the same time, I found the film quite depressing, though. Really, I don't want to go too deeply into it, but I, I just found the whole idea that, you know, did it did it just rudely remind you of the fact that we are the little men in this world? We're just cattle, aren't we? Really? But yeah. It's I don't know. Speaking the of speaking those of... guys are playing at it, actually, it shapes. It shapes nations, it shapes societies, it shapes And cultures. it's not even the fact that they're doing it on purpose, no. either. They accidentally do this sort of thing. It's just fiscal, it's folly. just like fiscal engineering. It's But it, it it has such an impact. And you kind of, I don't know, you, I'm someone that places a lot of credence into culture and creativity and that kind of thing, but it makes you realise that it's just so superseded by essentially just need and want. And that's it. That uh, you know, creative, even like, I creativity mean, the, the and all these things that we enjoy, uh, the arts either, and stuff. It's the cherry on the top, but ultimately, the base needs are supplied by money and the the means by which to create and command and control that. And you know, there you go. That's I mean, it. the people in the film aren't good guys either, are they? No, it's sort of, they no. are. They are antiheroes. They are essentially yeah. profiting off everybody else's downfall. And I think the probably the. The takeaway line is that that Brad Pitt one, isn't it? The uh, the statistic about unemployment and the fact that when what's it? When unemployment goes up five percent, forty thousand people die. 
or something like that. I think that. it was maybe even more than that. Yeah, when they were, yeah, but when they were all celebrating, it's 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 dark. Don't dance that that little scene. Yeah, it's dark. It's very very good. It's very um, those two guys, those like little unheard of actors. They were pretty decent as well. Actually. Yeah, I, I like the fact that they gave two little unheard of actors the unheard of company yeah, role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good casting. It's quite they good, they were, it seemed to work well together. Yeah, they did. I thought it was. Um, have you seen The Revenant? I have, yeah. I have. Did you like it? Um, I did like it. It felt to me like even like the cinematic version. I enjoyed it and I could sit there and I could sit through it and I liked it. But it felt to me like they could have easily cut at least half an hour out of it and you could have still enjoyed it. Like it felt a bit like a director's cut, which given the director... I can imagine he was someone that wanted very close control and probably... I think after his, his recent run at the awards and things, he's got final cut on this type of thing. Yeah, exactly. There was It, it got to a point where it was almost as if something else can't happen to this bloke now, can it? I mean, it, after... I mean, there's, there really aren't any spoilers because the majority of it is in the film. Yeah. But, you know, he gets mauled by a bear within about 15 minutes of the film starting. <laughs> it's intense really... that scene, isn't it? It's it's when he it's when he started going for his gun again. I'm like, mate, just play dead, play dead. Don't don't do it again. He gets fucking smashed up again. Um, it's horrible. I mean, the effects that they do on his skin of him, essentially looking like you know what it really reminded me of is um, the um, what's his name um, the guy Robert De Niro in Frankenstein the way that they did his body effect yeah, yeah. in that film, because it was just so sort of weird and puzzle-like, the way in which his skin had been left. And I think I, th- I thought Tom Hardy was really good. I think the standout in the film was probably that young, uh, the young English had, um, what's his name, Will Poulter. Yeah, he was pretty good. He was, he was really good. I mean, he, he probably had the hardest job out of everyone because he was the only, <laughs> only character that had sort of nuance and any sort of moral ambiguity to him everybody else was a bit more straight and down the middle donald gleason's on a good run of films he is he's 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 blown up this year he's, in, like, he's one of the main characters in fucking star wars as well mm. one of the best things he ever did though he was in um um cavalry or carvery or whichever yeah, one it's it good is movie, where he wears the um he's playing the psycho rapist murderer guy yeah. isn't he Fucking, it's it's weird film that actually really weird. Oh, that was that was my favorite film of the year yeah. when that came out. It was great, and um, um, I love what's his name the the main guy. Fuck Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely fucking brilliant. I lo- I like I love him as an actor. Yeah, I thought um, on the Revenant though. I mean, it was it's one of those where you could sort of because the Oscars films are all available on sort of online because the screeners all go out and it's impossible to stop them leaking that's the one film that out of all of them I was desperate to see sort mm. of projected yeah. on a big screen because that's it's a bit like Avatar in that that's sort of the point yeah. of seeing it and you could it's see why it's a sensory why. experience isn't it as opposed to just a just film. all that natural light and yeah. the 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 sort of the surroundings was its own without being too wanky it was like its own little character yeah. well, it looks beautiful and, doesn't it the film is yeah beautiful. the woods and all that sort of things it's it is really good and you can't imagine that translating well to no. you sort of your forty five inch TV at home um, with some tinny speakers it's, it doesn't sort of capture you in the same way but there were the, the sections in that film where you sort of you almost sort of I just sat in complete silence and not moving and sort of you have to remind yourself to sort of breathe normally and not just sort of, you know, you get too involved in it sometimes because it is so silent and because it's so little dialogue. 
and I think that's probably the thing that is is swinging the Oscar DiCaprio's way is the fact that he he holds that film without ever saying anything for the majority of it. He deserves um, it as well, you know, by now. That yeah, it's, it's similar to Scorsese, isn't it? They're just yeah. giving it him because it's his turn, where he's, he's been better in other films. Yeah, he, he does not because he's he is he is one of the greats of our generation. Like, he's he's brilliant. Yeah, he, he is very good. I mean, I, I like him as a person as well yeah. because he he just seems to be a bit of a knob. <laughs> yeah, like but he doesn't hide from that, does he? No, no he's not. it was it was almost it almost roamed into uh, the realms of self parody the other week when there was um, there was that news story somewhere that. Um, He'd uh, he'd broken up with some, you know, one of these model girlfriends of his, and the next day he was pictured on some sort of tropical island beach with almost three identical versions <laughs> of his ex. And it's like, oh, all right, he's he's getting over it in his own way, is he? I think the thing this is this is the difference to me. You have guys like DiCaprio that people say he's a knob, but he knows he is, and he kind of fronts up to that it's the Biebers the Cristiano Ronaldo's who are knobs as well but try to pretend that they're not that's why I don't like those guys I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo's a knob I think Cristiano Ronaldo is he's a knob he's a a knob you know what I think if you ever to meet Ronaldo especially what I've heard from from people who have sort of interacted with them in various settings. Messi's the one who'll turn up an hour late and, you know, drink Pepsi when he's supposed to drink Coke or whatever and he's with the entourage and not paying his taxes and and he's the he's the one that believes his own hype a little bit more. But because he's short and a bit uglier and, and unassuming and things and he's he's got that characteristic trait and and that's sort of the 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 conclusion that people have already made about him. He's not the one that people see as the the one that's a bit feisty, whereas I think he secretly is the one who's a bit of a dick. Whereas Cristiano Ronaldo, I, I, just the the things that he does that don't get as much press as as other things, uh, his sort of the work he does for charity, the 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 gross amounts of money that he gives away very quietly to you know children that need operations and things. And having been to Madeira on holiday, the amount of things that he's clearly helped fund and put money into just because he's he's proud of where he comes from and and obviously feels a, a duty of debt to those places i Maybe think he he's builds statues of himself and commissions films of himself like it's you know the one hand is giveth, that, the other that, hand taketh away it, that's just all part of his persona though i think that's probably i think he's probably more of a i think he's probably more sort of um insecure than yeah yeah it, oh, people give him give him sort of credit for it. I mean, one of the things I've I've heard about him is that sort of he's the type of person where if he's doing some sort of work or a shoot or something, he'll he'll be the one that they'll have to tell to come over to do work because he spent 20 minutes in the corner with the cameraman talking about his last match or doing keepy-uppies with kids and stuff like that and instead of doing the work. Whereas, like I say, Messi's the one who begrudgingly turns up, does his work and leaves and... And isn't very nice to anyone while he's there. So I think, I think that's that's probably a misconception. I, mean, I may well be wrong. We may be a massive dick, but I, and there's there's obviously no argument about who's the better footballer. But I think probably quietly, Ronaldo is probably the one. It's it's nicer to be around. Yeah, maybe I don't know. 
He's a bit, it's just a hunch. He's, I, I just, I think he's quite a weird man. I think he's, he's a bit of a Michael Jackson. I think you always have to be a bit he's weird. He's never really grown up. He. Oh, when you get that amount of money that young, though. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's of hard course. to, it's hard to avoid. Um, it's very few of. But, them, the, but I don't um, know. There's certain, like certain cracks, mate. Like the fact that his ego is obviously so fragile that they had to try their utmost to keep secret from him the fact that Bale cost more than he did. Little things like that. Are, a bit bizarre. It's a bit weird, and it's kind of damning of of him. But it's maybe not so much that he's ah no, he does. He's a bellend. Um, <laughs> bellend for a know, different reason just, that Messi it's just is. Lots of it's just very competitive, isn't it? It's no. he's outwardly competitive, whereas um, Messi perhaps puts a better public show on and of it than uh, than he may do. Good old Leo. Um, Right. I like the fact that the rumours came out recently that Real Madrid have put in like three cheeky bids for Messi over the past few years without um, without it being ever made public. That'd but it makes sense given that um, Adidas are apparently on the verge of signing like a world record fee for their kit sponsorship and Messi's obviously their biggest Adidas talent. And we saw the sway that they had um, in the World Cup when Messi got golden boot when he clearly wasn't the best player at that tournament. Yeah. Um but because it was sponsored by Adidas and he was, the photo opportunity was too good to turn down for that not to happen. Um, so it's it's a funny one. It'd be it'd be really interesting to see if he figured it. It would be, but I, it's you kind of can't help but think it's going to be a city entire, of anything now. They throw an entire pig on the pitch, <laughs> not just the head. Slaughter it on the pitch. In front yeah. of um, would you like to the see head the Premier wife. League, even if it was for City? Oh, Messi. Yeah. I would be concerned in the same reason I'm concerned about Guardiola coming because there's always this narrative about Messi and Guardiola that they've never had to work for anything and that they're good because they've fallen into a good situation. Um, And I would be worried that their success would be wrongfully... um, invalidated by sort of the dinosaurs that exist in the English football culture. The fact that Harry Redknapp fell over himself to say that Pep Guardiola should be going to Dagenham and Redbridge rather than Manchester City shows you sort of the the fact that they're waiting to set him up for a fall. They're almost eager for him to fail because Pep Guardiola, in a similar way to Andre Villas-Boas, he isn't going to come here and he's not going to play the special one role. He's not going to provide them quotes. He's not going to give them the inner access. He's going to come out. He's going to speak about football in the pragmatic, slightly spiky manner that he does. And your Daily Mails and Sons of the World are not going to enjoy that because they might actually have to do some football journalism, which they're not... um, they're not ones that, that tend to do that all that much, so it's going to make their jobs harder. I'm going to be um, excited there to see, you know, because obviously already everyone's saying, he don't go nowhere where he ain't got no money, he don't go nowhere where he does this, but people don't, I, I mean, I do, I, I see that criticism to a certain extent, but at the same time, it takes a certain type of character to be able to manage at that level, managing the sort of players that he does, the egos that big, and be and successful. You know? Cash your mind back to exactly what he did to that Barcelona team that he inherited. He got rid of all of the biggest names and brought in the kids from the youth system. You know, he got rid of Yaya Torre and and Henri and uh, Eto and uh, who else was there? Um, 
Deco and uh, Ronaldinho. He got rid of them all and he brought in and gave bigger roles to Iniesta, to Messi, Pedro and Busquets and Puyol and brought PK You do forget that at the time, really, don't you? Even I forgot that, to be honest, that they did completely turn that around. You just take it for a given, don't you, that they've always been He took an exceptional team and made them the best team in the world. Probably the and best it, team ever. The best like, one of side the best ever. teams ever. And then he he almost did it again with Bayern Munich. His Bayern Munich team are ridiculous. I mean, his Champions League record is. He probably will want to win the Champions League this season just to say that he has done it because that the domestic competition is 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 almost become a slight parody because of how good he's made them compared to everybody else. But it's you know he's run. He's been knocked out by. Barcelona and Real Madrid in the past two years, and I think that's is that the eventual winners he's lost to in the past two years. Yeah. So they're not they're not shit teams that he's lost to, and it's not he's not gone out in the first round to Monaco Arsenal style. He's you know he's gone to difficult places and he's not quite got the result he's needed to. And I'm I'm not entirely sure that's uh, that's a stick that's well worth beating someone with. But it's it's going to be interesting. I mean it's I think it's good for for this country the more and more pragmatic coaches we get if if Chelsea go ahead and and hire Jorge Sampaoli and things it'll it'll be fantastic because it it will expose and weed out the sort of the people who think in the old in the old way and the people who want Harry Redknapp as England manager and things yeah it will (laughs) you know we Klopp as well Klopp will undoubtedly do better with Liverpool once he starts to get his own team in there and he's actually allowed a full pre-season and things like that and he's not just parachuted into a shit situation and with you know we, we shouldn't discount ourselves here we've got Pochettino with you know the backbone of the future of the English side at our club um doing more for the national side than, than Harry Redknapp has but ever done. I, I, th- I, I can't help but think as well, a lot of these kind of managers, like you're saying with like Pep there, is that a lot of these managers as well, they, they, they're they smart. Like they're going to give a chance to, people to sort of worry about, oh, is this, is this curtains for like, you know, young English talent? There's, there's this, I don't know, there's this, there's this false imagining that, these old school English managers nurturing this talent. They fucking don't. They're the first guys to bring in. Harry Redknapp was the first fucking guys to take Nico Cranshaw everywhere he went with him. Do you know what I mean? Like his Portsmouth side was littered with foreign talent. He had the uh, you know Lauren and and all sorts of people there at the time, and uh, you know several. He he was the one that sort of he brought in Premier African strikers window after window yeah. like Benjani and Lawalawar again. Pardew's another, you know. Mm. So I yeah, it is, a, it is a complete um, fallacy that English uh, managers. But the, the thing that it will do is it, the fact that these jobs are going to young foreign men who are who are academics of the game rather than sort of old football men or you know good top football guys or whatever. They're, fuck they call them it will force the younger generation of english managers to reassess what it takes to get a top job and and, and i know we take the piss out of the out of people like brendan rogers because of his personality <laughs> it is but, fun to as well isn't it but sort of the way in which he handles himself in terms of what he attempted to do tactically although he failed some of the time was far more progressive than anything Sam Allardyce has ever done. Uh, even if you go down a league and look at sort of 
Sean Dyche and uh, Clement uh, at Derby and um, even Monk and, as well. To be fair to him, yeah, Gary Gary Monk did well. Eddie Howe, of course, at Bournemouth. Yeah. There, there's the younger crop of them, all apart from Tim Sherwood, have um, have seemed to have learnt a little bit more and seem to have accepted abroad because. The sort of the knock-on effect to the England team. Well, the England team is never going to get better if all we do is replace Sam Allardyce with Mick McCarthy on six-month cycles. It's it's not a. It's just it's uh, it, it's uh, you know it's a it's a failure cycle happening time and time yeah. again. So I'm, I'm I enjoy the fact that Guardiola will come and upset the apple cart even more than it already has been and. Um, the fact that it'll be upsetting the people that it will be is is a positive for me. I can't I can't see why it would uh, it would go wrong. I'm just I just hope it doesn't go drastically wrong because that will give those people a level of validation that they they really don't deserve. Because right, if you want to listen to any of the previous episodes of, I think we've actually done a really good football podcast. Yeah, it's not bad. Just not bad, mate. We don't need Seb anymore, do we? No, get rid. Sorry, Seb. You you done, mate. Um, You're fired. But to... Seb, if you do want to listen to Will the Rooster without you know your presence <laughs> here anymore, you can do so on iTunes or on Acast or on the website rtrpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at rtr underscore pod. Um, subscribe on iTunes. Write us some nice or horrible. We prefer horrible reviews. We'll read horrible reviews out as well. Just make sure they got five stars. That's all we ask. That's all we ask. Yeah, we always ask for imaginative, horrible reviews. Is what we want. Exactly. You're not. But, you're not going to offend us. You, but five stars. Well, you might be able to offend us, but you know, try just try and make it smart. Be clever. You know, be clever about it. You know, we all know Raj is northern. We all know I drone on. We all know Seb's posh. Like, come on, think outside the box. Do bit. do keep reminding everyone that Seb is posh though, because he really enjoys that. <laughs> yeah, and old. Even though he's and only old. a few months older than me. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Um, yeah, we're going to win the league. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.